You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Every time they would pray, they would ask for more of God. Imagine that. Praying and asking, Lord, I want more of you. Imagine that. What a wonderful prayer we should pray. Lord, I want more of you. Wow, and guess what? When you pray that prayer, guess what happens? He gives more of himself, and you get more of God. Wow, what a concept. You mean I can ask God for more of him? Yeah. He wants to continually pour himself into you. Continually pour himself into you and make you strong and make you strengthen to fulfill the purpose that he has for your life. That's what he wants to do. Ask him and he will fill you. Did you know that you can pray for more of God in your life? In today's message from Pastor Dave, he encourages you to ask for more of God. The Lord desires to continually pour more of himself into you. When you ask God, he is faithful to answer. He wants to strengthen you even more for the purposes he has for you. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 3 as he begins his message, Expect the Unexpected. You are We're going to be getting a new chapter this morning. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3. So if you will turn in your word to Acts chapter 3, we're going to be looking at the first 10 verses in Acts 3. So please read along silently as I read aloud Acts 3 verses 1 through 10. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who had entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. I'd like to start off this morning by reading to you from the devotion, My Utmost for His Highest by Oswald Chambers. It's a a daily devotion that I do. I've been doing it now for several years. I go through the same book every year, and I just start over because it's dated. It doesn't have the day of the week. It just has the date. And last Tuesday, I knew where we were going in the Scriptures, and I had been praying that the Lord would show me something to speak about. And last Tuesday, this was the devotional, and I need to read it to you as a start to tie into the message. He uses the scripture Galatians 1.15 when it pleased God. And he says, as servants of God, we must learn to make room for him, to give him elbow room. We plan and figure and predict that this is or that will happen, but we forget to make room for God to come in as he chooses. Would we be surprised if God came into our meeting or into our preaching in a way we had never expected him to come? 
Do not look for God to come in a particular way, but do look for Him. The way to make room for Him is to expect Him to come, but not in a certain way. No matter how well we may know God, the great lesson to learn is that He may break in at any minute. We tend to overlook this element of surprise, yet God never works in any other way. Suddenly, God meets our life when it pleased God. Keep your life so constantly in touch with God that His surprising power can break through at any point. Live in a constant state of expectancy and leave room for God to come as He decides. Hence, the title of this message is Expect the Unexpected. In these two words, expect and unexpected, you can get a glimpse of the way God works, and the way God works in our lives, and the way God moves in our lives. You can get an idea of how we can expect Him to act when He acts on behalf of us or towards us. He acts in a way that is to be expected, and He acts in a way that is totally unexpected. To expect simply means to consider likely or to consider that it will probably happen. We know from Scripture that God can be counted on. We know that He will do the things that He has said because His Word is true. His Word is infallible. And His Word is inerrant. It means there are no errors. It's never false. There are no contradictions. For example, we read in Philippians 1, verse 6, says, being confident of this very thing, that He, the Lord, who has began a good work in you, will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, our God is a faithful God. He accomplishes that which He begins. And He can be trusted to accomplish everything that needs to be accomplished in our lives. We can trust Him. We can trust Him to the point that Paul says to his son Timothy in the faith, he says in Timothy 2, verse 13, if we are faithless, He, God, remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. So we serve an ever-faithful God And He is constantly faithful to us even when we seem to be faithless. God is still faithful and still meets our needs and still takes care of us. We can expect God to work on our behalf. He's going to work the same way He has always worked throughout the Bible. For He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. We know that because Scripture tells us that. In that, we have confidence. His character never changes. God never changes. So we have confidence in that. That being said... I also believe that we serve a God who acts in unexpected ways. We serve a God who acts unexpectedly. Expect the unexpected. We serve a God who you cannot place in a box and say, act this way, God, for this particular instance. And I can prove my point. All throughout the Gospels, Jesus healed blind people, did he not? One time he walks up to the blind person and he touches them and he receives his sight. So as they're walking down the street and the disciples are walking with them, they see a blind man and they're saying to one another, watch this. He's going to touch him and heal him. He's going to touch him and heal him. What does he do? He spits in the dirt, makes mud, sticks the mud in the guy's eyes, and says, be healed. And the guy's healed. The disciple's like, what? So the next time they see a blind guy, they're going, watch this, watch this. He's either going to touch him or he's going to spit in the ground and make mud. What does Jesus do? Jesus spits in his eye. And the guy's healed. They're going, whoa, that's radical. Their minds must have been blown. They're like, what is this guy? Wow, he just spit... You can't put God in a box. You can't expect Him to act the same way all the time, but you can expect Him to act. And that's what's so cool about our God. That's so so cool about the God we serve. I mean, can you imagine the look on the disciples' faces? What? It was totally unexpected. So when it comes to our Father, expect the unexpected. This is how the early church functioned. 
They lived every moment with the expectation that the Lord would show up. Either He would show up through the Holy Spirit, He would show up through some sort of sign or wonder, or He would show up amazingly in the air and they would be raptured to meet Him. We can expect the same thing in our lives. That the Lord is going to show up. He is going to come, and sometimes He comes when we least expect it. But the early church had been meeting daily. We read that in verse 46. They'd been studying God's Word daily. They had been praying daily. They had been fellowshipping daily. They had been breaking bread together on a daily basis. This is what the early church did. As a result of these activities, their faith soared. Their faith got larger and larger every day because they spent this great amount of time together. They were strengthened as they learned more and more about God. Every time they would pray, they would ask for more of God. Imagine that. Praying and asking, Lord, I want more of you. Imagine that. What a wonderful prayer we should pray. Lord, I want more of you. Wow, and guess what? When you pray that prayer, guess what happens? He gives more of himself, and you get more of God. Wow, what a concept. You mean I can ask God for more of him? Yeah. He wants to continually pour himself into you, continually pour himself into you, and make you strong, and make you strengthen to fulfill the purpose that he has for your life. That's what he wants to do. Ask him, and he will fill you. They would ask for more of the Holy Spirit, and they would get more of the Holy Spirit. We're going to read in future chapters that they're going to get the snot kicked out of them. They're going to get the snot beaten out of them many, many times. And when they're leaving, they're going to do high fives because they were counted worthy to be beaten for Jesus Christ. Then when they get back to the group, what are they going to do? Pray for more boldness so we can go back out again. And they pray for more boldness. And the Lord gives them more boldness. And they go back out again. And they preach the name of Jesus Christ. That's what the early church did. There was a genuine love for one another. They had unity. There was a reverent fear an awe, a respect of the Lord. They walked in the spirit of worship. They worshiped God in the temple. They worshiped God in their houses. They worshiped God everywhere they were. They worshiped God with gladness and simplicity of heart, Scripture says. They praised God, and because of this, they found favor with other men. Subsequently, because of all these things that were happening, the Lord added to the church daily those that were being saved. That's what it says in verse 47. And we said they did their part. Now God was doing his part. God was doing his part because of what they were doing. They were seeking God with their whole heart. Do you seek God with your whole heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, with all your power? Or is it just the thing you do in the morning because that's what you do in the morning? Or only when you're on the Titanic and it's sinking. Then it's really time to seek God. They sought God every second they could. They walked in constant expectation of God. That's how they walked. So now as we start chapter 3... We see how the Lord began to add to the church, how he would add to this church that he has established. Remember, they're already 3,000 strong. Actually, 3,120. They're already 3,120 strong, and God's now going to add more to that. So as we look at our verses today in chapter 3 in Acts, we see these two disciples, Peter and John, going to the temple to pray. Look at verse 1. Now Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. I imagine Peter and John went to the temple on many occasions to pray. It was their routine. It's what they did. And notice here, they didn't change their routine. They still went to the temple to pray. They still went where they had to go each day. Like you, going to work, going to school, doing the chores that you have to do, meeting the obligations of the day-to-day life. You don't change those things because you become a Christian. You continue to do those things that the Lord has before you to do, though, to do in a regular routine act. 
They're following their regular schedule. But there's some interesting things here that we want to look at. First of all, it's the ninth hour. It says the ninth hour, which means it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They started counting the hours. The first hour was 6 o'clock. And if you count 9, you get the 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And it was interesting. Now, you guys said, well, why, why would they say that? Why would, why would Luke record that in there? Is he just telling us things that we don't need to know? No, there's nothing in the Bible by chance. There's no fluff in the Bible. Everything in the Bible has a purpose. They went there at 3 o'clock because it was after the sacrifice. The sacrifices happened from 1 to 3. And after 3 was prayer time. Why didn't they go for sacrifices? They didn't need to go for the sacrifices. They knew that the one true sacrifice had already been taken place. They knew that the one true sacrifice was Jesus Christ the righteous. And when he died, there was no need for sacrifice. They knew that. They knew that. When you sacrificed for sin... You had to go in, take your animal into the court, into the priest. You put your hands on the animal, and the priest killed the animal while you were holding it. When you held it, you were transferring your sin onto the animal. And when the animal was killed, your sins were covered by the blood of that animal. But God changed all that. God changed all that. God wanted to relate to them in a brand new way. In fact, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 21, it says... For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become righteousness of God in him. See? Jesus became our sacrificial lamb. He became the one, and we didn't have to lay hands on him. He just took the sin upon him of the world upon himself. And when he died, that was our sacrifice. Peter and John knew this. Peter and John knew this. And I want to take you for a minute to the book of Hebrews. Would you turn with me? Take a short hop to Hebrews with me, please. Basically, Hebrews 10. I just want to explain this a little bit more. That's all. I felt like I needed to explain this just a tad more. In Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, let's read. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. The law can't make you perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more conscience of sins. In other words, if one offering could make you clean, why did they do it year after year after year after year? Because it only covered the sin. It didn't take it away. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, he is Jesus He said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. The volume of the book is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law, the law being the law of Moses. Then he said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. In other words, he takes away the law and establish law covenant and establishes the new covenant. Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. Jesus came to fulfill the law. In all of the him, the law is fulfilled. So he fulfilled the entire law because we were helpless on our own to fulfill it. So he fulfilled the law. Let me finish here. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, 
Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, one sacrifice forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering he was perfected forever those who are being sanctified. That's us. By one offering he has perfected forever those that are being sanctified, which is us. We are being sanctified day by day. To be sanctified means to be set apart, means to be made holy. It's happening day by day. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds, and I, I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds, here's his, I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. The writer of Hebrews knew that. There no longer needed to be a sacrifice. Peter and John knew that, so they don't go to the uh, temple during the sacrifice time. They go after the sacrifice time. But notice, they're good little Jews. They still go to the temple. They go to the temple because that's where they pray. They still held on to that. Just because they became Christians doesn't mean they weren't Jews. They didn't have to give up being Jewish because they were Christian. They still went to their temple. Another interesting thing about this verse, it says they were together. Yeah, yeah, I know, Dave. It means they walk hand in hand. No, it doesn't. What it means is, the Greek word here means that there was a spiritual oneness in them. They were of one accord. They were like-minded, going to the temple to pray. There was a oneness with them. They were one accord. You know, this is a quite different picture than when you read the Gospels about Peter and John. When you read the Gospels, Peter, what are Peter and John always doing? I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, 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 I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. Well, Jesus likes me more. No, Jesus likes me better. They were always arguing. They were always competing. Read the gospel for yourself. Peter and John are always just like you and me. Mom said he liked me best. No, no, no. We're arguing all the time. But now they're together in one accord. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was upon them. There was no need for competing now. There was no need to see one-upmanship, for the lack of a better term. They were now Christ-centered, and they were not self-centered. And there's a huge difference in your life when your life is Christ-centered, not self-centered. Huge difference. Another thing worth noting about these guys is why did they go to the temple? They went to pray. God uses people who pray. God uses people who pray. He uses men who pray. He uses women who pray. And He uses a church that prays. God loves prayer. Prayer is essential of the new church. It was essential for all churches. It's an essential characteristic of the new church. They prayed. They sought God's will for their lives. They sought God's wills for the lives of each other. They intercessed for each other as they prayed, lifting each other up. Prayer is an essential activity for all believers. It's a time when we commune with God. It's a time when we get to find out what His will is. Here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May, on Wednesday nights, we pray. and We pray for one another. And we have seen mighty things happen because of the prayer of the saints. We've seen mighty things happen. Healings. Wonderful things. Relationships stored. We've seen wonderful things happen because of the prayer. A praying church is a powerful church. It's a strong church. So these two believers were going about their daily routine. They're heading to the temple to pray. Something they did on a regular basis. Like I said, like us going to school or going to the grocery store. Going over to a friend's house for coffee. But this time, this time during their daily routine, they're about to have what I like to call a divine appointment. As we go about our daily lives, God sets up divine appointments. 
Times when you might have a chance to speak about Him. Times when you might have a chance to demonstrate His love in somebody else's life. It may be someone that you know very, very well. It may be a total stranger. But God sets up these divine appointments. Maybe some of you have had these divine appointments and can look back and go, yeah, I remember this divine appointment God set up for me. One of the things my wife and I do in the morning when we pray is we ask that God would set up divine appointments for us this day. That God would let us see someone who is in need of Him that we might talk to during the day. And many times that has happened. He has set up those divine appointments. There will be divine appointments in your life. So the only question I have is, are you ready? They will be there. I'm sure that Peter and John were ready for this divine appointment. They had the Holy Spirit. They were ready to go. In verse 2 we read, And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate beautiful to ask alms for those who entered the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. This man was lame. He had been lame since birth. Every day, his friends carried him to the gate beautiful, and they set him there where he would ask for alms. Interesting note about the gate beautiful. The Jewish historian Josephus calls this gate, he said this gate was made of fine Corinthian brass. It was 75 feet high with huge double doors. It was truly beautiful and excelled above all those others that were ever covered with silver and gold. So you have this gate, which is absolutely ornately beautiful, called beautiful. Beautiful gate. We have this really neat contrast here. And if you think about it, we have this beautiful gate, this gorgeous gate, bronzed and beautiful, and a beggar sitting beside it who is considered ugly. I don't want to coin the phrase beauty and the beast, but you have something similar where you have an ugly, crippled man lying at this beautiful gate. But when I look at this, I see religion in all its grandeur. I see religion in all its its grandeur because you have this beautiful ornate gate which led into the temple and a crippled man outside who couldn't get in. That's religion. That's religion because religion is man's attempt to get to God. Religion is just man's attempt to get to God by doing this. He couldn't get into the temple because temple was where the presence of God was and he couldn't get there. He couldn't get there because of his infirmities. Man was a beggar. He was placed daily at the gate. And his job was to collect alms, collect money from the people coming in and out of the temple. Now, you're going to think, well, maybe he he shouldn't have been there. Well, actually, in that day, giving alms to the poor was a meritorious act. In other words, it was a good work. When you gave alms to the poor, you immediately went into the temple and said, hey, everyone, I gave alms to the guy out there. And everybody, good job. Woohoo, good for you. It was very meritorious. So you had to tell someone. The Scripture says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. What you do in secret will be honored when you give. But no, not then. It was good work to give to the poor. and You would make sure everybody knew about it. I wonder how many times Peter and John passed this guy. If they went to the temple every single day to prayer, I wonder how many times they passed this guy. I wonder how many times, you know, they might have even given him some alms once in a while. I don't know. I wonder how many times he was there. Did you ever think about that? How many times do you pass someone every single day? Same person every single day, not even paying attention to them, not wondering about them. There might be people in your lives that you pass every single day. You are Our time with you is running short for today's edition of A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave will continue this journey through the book of Acts when you join us next time. But for now, you can listen to this teaching and others from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. We'd encourage you to download these messages so they are available wherever you are. We know how busy life can get, but there's always a time to pause, even if only for a few minutes. 
Those short breaks could be filled with the study of God's Word and the uncovering of treasures from its verses. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, gaining access to the latest messages as soon as they're posted. Find out more at assurehoperadio.com. If you're looking for a church family and happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to have you come join us for a time of worship and Bible study. Calvary Chapel Cape May meets weekly on Sundays at 10 a.m. And we offer nursery and Sunday school where your children will be well cared for as they learn about the love of Jesus. Give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. Thanks for listening to today's message from the book of Acts. We pray you continue to be blessed as you study the Word and that you'll discover Jesus working in your life. Pastor Dave will be back soon for another in-depth look at this New Testament book right here on A Sure Hope.